0: Do not be afraid, you are of more value than many sparrows. It's a nice enough sentiment, unless you're a sparrow, in which case you might feel a bit undervalued. But the line stands out in our gospel reading today because it's actually somewhat pleasant and reassuring thing for Jesus to say, in stark contrast to the rest of that passage, in which Matthew seems to have packed together a collection of some of the worst things Jesus ever said. He begins by establishing or at least naming the pecking orders among teachers and disciples as well as in households where masters occupy a station higher than slaves. This isn't exactly breaking news, but it's jarring to hear it come from Jesus who elsewhere took such interest in people at the margins and the lower echelons of power. It's almost as jarring as what comes closer to the end of the passage where he seems to say the whole Prince of Peace thing was a misnomer A week after Father's Day, apparently it's Christian Family Values Day, where we hear what Jesus' mission was not peace, but to tear the nuclear family apart. Anybody feeling sorry for a preacher who's expected to bring a little good news to the people of God today? Asking for a friend. Coward that I am, I would normally go to the Old Testament reading, but uh, the landscape isn't much better over there today. We see Sarah, matriarch of the faith of Jews and Christians alike, jealously insisting that Abraham send an enslaved woman named Hagar out into the desert with her little boy, Ishmael. Ishmael being the child Abraham had fathered with Hagar at Sarah's request, if you'll recall. Maybe we should call this Biblical Family Dynamics Sunday. (laughs) Juicy material to work with but I'm not trained in psychotherapy or family systems theory. It is almost enough to send a preacher over to the epistle of Paul, of all places, in search of material. (laughs) Actually, it is enough. Let's talk about Romans (laughs) 6. But maybe we'll come back and look at two of the worm cans we've opened up after we do. I do think it's important that one's faith have a center or a guiding narrative through which you look out at the world, and that includes the world of the Bible. One way of describing mine is to use Paul's language. We humans are constantly falling away from life, the life of grace and gift and into one of law and merit. God wants us to live out of gratitude for what's been given to us for free, but we think what we've earned for ourselves is what matters and what makes us each matter. We're picking up Paul mid-conversation today. He's been making the case in Romans that if you want to be justified before God, there's just one thing you've got to do. Nothing. There's nothing you can do about your justification because it's already been accomplished in the death and resurrection of Jesus. You are justified. Justified by God's abundant grace. Your merit or moral worthiness doesn't factor in the equation at all. The problem with that scenario is that it's literally unbelievable. I literally can't believe there's a realm in which my worth is only a gift, not a personal achievement. A realm in which my worth is a given, not something I'm expected to prove. Faith isn't doing something impossible. It's believing what this world makes unbelievable. That's all Paul wants us to do. He wants us to believe and trust the gift of our redemption by grace. Think about this for a minute. We rate the promptness and politeness of our Uber drivers and waiters by giving them little stars on our phones. Same goes for the novels and the shovels and the tiddlywink sets we purchase on Amazon.com. When when a Facebook post announcing that Calvary's organ pipes had gone missing was shared more than 2,000 times, Ardell unhelpfully pointed out that the sermon I'd preached the Sunday before had reached the whopping total of five. (laughs) I'd like to say preachers don't keep score, but... Maybe these examples are small and silly, but the point is we live in a world that is constantly ranking and taking stock of humans and objects, comparing this to that, her to him, them to us. Wherever we turn, we're proving our worth to someone or asking someone else to prove theirs to us. Church is certainly no exception, I'm afraid. Nearly 40 years I was sitting in the little non-denominal national church I grew up in. It was time for communion, which was Welch's and white bread, but no less sacred than ours. A retired farmer named Marshall Orcutt stood up to leave that part of the service and said bluntly, There's nothing I can do about the fact that I want all of you to think I'm a very spiritual person today. I've forgotten pretty much everything everybody ever said in every church service I've ever attended, my own words included. But I remember what Marshall said that day. I remember it clearly because he was naming that wherever we go in this world, We know we're being rated and judged and compared and living in order to please or prove ourselves worthy to whoever happens to be doling out the stars is damaging to the human soul. Paul said if we're to exit that system, the self we've constructed to please that system is going to have to die. The systems of law and judgment are just too pervasive, and we've just been too deeply shaped by their values to accept the terms of grace and gift. Thomas Merton actually put it this way. Every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self. This is the man I want myself to be, but who cannot exist because God does not know anything about him. And to be unknown of God is altogether too much privacy. You see, the good news for Merton and for St. Paul is that the self that must die isn't really us at all. The self that has to die is the false self we've constructed to please the reviewers within the church and without, not the true self we've been given by God. Which happens to be the only self God sees and loves and hopes we'll learn to give freely away to the world. I truly believe that coming to know our true selves, our given and forgiven selves, not the ones we've struggled to construct and earn and prove, is the newness of life Paul wants us to walk in. And notice that it's newness of life he's commending to us, not being justified to God just so we'll get to heaven one day. Something true and powerful and healing and maybe eternal can be released in us when the old false self is buried with Christ and when your true self comes alive in the world. I promised we'd glance back over at some of the gospel reading from here, so let's give it a try. That bit about teachers and disciples, masters and slaves continues into a really strange reference to the master of the house being called Beelzebul. Beelzebul was a Philistine god that was sometimes just shorthand for the devil. Maybe you know how Jesus' own story is going to play out. The powers that be in the world who rule by force, powers that can and will kill the body even of Jesus, They will find any community dangerous that doesn't accept their rating systems for who matters and who does not. The control they exert was and is the power to kill the body. And Jesus says, so be it, but do not give them your soul. Don't give your true self over to them by creating a false one just to please them. And that bit about daughters and sons set against fathers and mothers. Well, it's an even harder one, I think. But I will say this. I have no regrets for all the times I looked at my children with curiosity and wonder about who they were in the deepest and truest parts of themselves. But I wish I'd never needed them to be something else, to please a world that has its own rating systems for worth and goodness and value. I wish nothing of the world that demands we construct false cell, the false selves it needs us to be if we're to be successful or if we're to matter. I, I wish none of those forces made their way into my children's lives through me. But they did. Of course they did. Sometimes I needed them to be amazing and smart and good in hopes the world might rate me as amazing and smart and good by association. And every time that happened, it made the true self in each of us just a little bit harder to find. I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel wildly blessed and graced beyond measure in the people I've been given to walk closest to in this life. I also know that when the judgments of this law-obsessed world pass through me onto them, I pray they'll have the resources within them to set themselves against me to see me as an enemy in a very real sense in that moment to their truest selves. I want them to love and trust that they were made worthy by the God of grace who's imbued this creation and every last one of us with worth from the beginning. Worth that can't be taken away, but can be covered up and denied. Maybe you understand the struggle. It might not be most intense in your household, It might be most intense at your job or in your first days without the job that tells you who you are after you retire. It might be at school or on some social media platform, or let's be truthful, it might be at church. Calvary folks are lovely and kind, but take it from me, they're also an easy bunch to feel an adequate slacker around if you're not careful. (laughs) Whether we verbalize it or not, Maybe we can take a cue from Marshall in those moments when we feel the age-old need to perform or measure up taking over again. If all we can manage in that moment is to think to ourselves, you know, there's nothing I can do about the fact that I want you to rate me very highly right now. That small confession might be all your true self needs to take a breath, and that breath might be all the space your true self needs to take just one small step into newness of life. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of Second and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.